0: And so we're going to get into the scriptures tonight looking at what i think is a bit of a, a strong portion here in first john chapter 2 um, continuing in our series small book big ideas um, knowing what we need to know and so if i haven't said it yet Good evening. My name is Pastor Jordan, (laughs) and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And it's just an honor to open up the scriptures to us tonight. So let's just get that first slide up there. Uh, What I'm going to do today is a little bit different. Actually, no, let's keep that off for a second. What I'm going to do tonight is just a little bit different. I'm going to start at the bottom. We're we're looking at verses 7 to 14, and I'm going to get us to look at verses 12 to 14 first, and then I'm going to go back to verse 7. And hopefully that will make sense to you as we go on. But verses 12 to 14 speak about maturity. Um, they speak about Christians and, and how each one of us is at a different stage in maturity. In verse 12, we read this. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake." John is writing on themes of love, and we're going to get back to that in just a few minutes. But in the middle of chapter 2, he stops and throws these words in for us. And so what most commentators, what most scholars believe is happening here is he is pointing towards different levels of maturity in believers not simply just focusing on the actual ages of people, but rather using that as an example of where each person could be in their walk with God. And so we can't make the mistake of assuming, I think sometimes, that maturity will progress similarly spiritually to how, we, how it happens biologically. You know, typically, you know, we mature at some point in our lives. We start as babies, we become kids, eventually we become teenagers, and that's just that fun age, right? And then we move up, you know, you become, you know, seniors in school, um, young adults, adults, eventually at some point your body changes, your mind begins to develop, and that helps a little bit in the process of maturity for most of us right happens most times that's typically how things can go i see some nods coming my way here but uh it's typically helpful in the process of maturity and it i think when it comes to spiritual maturity yes i believe we grow as the years go by but we can't depend on that solely alone i think it happens as we purposely grow closer to god are you with me And as humans, we're used to the process happening more naturally as we just grow and our bodies develop and our minds develop. But maturity in Christ doesn't just necessarily happen by chance. You see, you could be a Christian for five years and not see any growth if you're not purposeful about it because you didn't abide in Him and perhaps intentionally pursue Him. And so growth happens as we desire to know God, as we love Him, as we follow Him, we get there by purposeful pursuit. And there's something purposeful about it. There's something where we make the decision that, yes, you know, um, we wanna follow God and we are gonna be a part of this process of maturity. And so John points out four different areas there. He talks about infants, right? Infants know that their sins are forgiven. But it's still all about them. And uh, think little babies, okay? (laughs) It's just about them, right? There's a lot of things that have to happen, a lot of things that need to be changed and looked after. But when they become children, understanding has grown, and they recognize that it's not just me, but I have parents around. And they listen sometimes, right? And they catch your preferences and things sometimes. But then we eventually mature, as it says in verse 13, 14. You become young adults, and you're willing to get involved in the battle, if I could say it like that, of Christianity. You're passionate. You want to be involved in things. But there's this point that you reach where it says fathers, or as some translations say, mature saints. These mature saints have have passed that self-centered inward test of kids, and they've matured past the focus of a toddler. And their focus is on knowing Him, and on being with Him, and on walking with Him. And as they do that, you see fruit in their lives. You see um, the process is more natural. Um, They they simply walk with God because they know Him. And so each one of us is at a different place of maturity in our walk of faith tonight. If you recently just came to faith, and you're starting at that first stage, welcome to church. It's exciting right? Exactly. Amen. Um, Maybe you're a kid in the faith. It's been a little while, and you're seeing growth. You're starting to recognize new things. Perhaps you found yourself really passionate about God, and you're starting to step out and just do things that you feel He's asking you to do. And perhaps you, you, you just walk with Him every day, and it's just part of the journey. It's just natural. You walk with God, and as you do that, you just see things happen in your life. Whatever place we find ourselves in, there's always a place for us to grow closer to Him. There's always a spot for us to know Him better. And so with that in mind, let's look at verses 7 to 9 this evening. It says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Let's stop there. And so John introduced this by calling us friends. Some translations say beloved. And he's saying, I'm not writing you a new command, but I'm writing you an old one. It's been around for a long time. Okay? You've heard it. You're familiar with it been around a while, but it's a new command. So some of you read that and you think, well, wait a second, where's he going here? You know, he says that this is, this is new, and then he, he tells us it's old, you know all about this, but then he goes back to, well, actually, it's new. So, so where's, where is where's he kind of going with this? Anyone kind of confused when you sort of read through that and think that through? Well, what John is trying to say is that this is a new, new idea, but it's also, if you look deeply into it, an old idea. And as we get into this main text today, is there anybody here who needs a fresh reminder of God's love for you today? Anyone? You just need a fresh reminder of that. Is there anyone who needs a fresh word about what it looks like to love people? Or is there anybody here who has someone in your life that is difficult for you to love? Don't raise your hands, okay? Because we all do, don't we, right? We all have coworkers. (laughs) We all have neighbors. We all have colleagues. I love my coworkers, just so you guys know. I didn't want that to be misinterpreted the wrong way. We all have family. Maybe you play sports. If you play sports, you really know what I'm talking about here, okay? But we all have opportunities in our lives where we could be around people who we find difficult to love. And so this is an old command to love one another. Look at Leviticus 19 and verse eight. Um, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, the text says. And this command has been around since the beginning. There's always been this idea that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. So in some way, it's not a new command, but it's kind of old. It's been there before. This is what the writer's getting at here. But let's look at John 13, in verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's look at John fifteen twelve really quick. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so Jesus seems to be concerned about how you and I treat one another, how we live out our faith. You see, this walking with God seems to involve more than simply me, myself, and I. There's more going on here in this walk of following Jesus, but it involves others, it involves those around me, it involves my brothers and sisters in Christ, it involves those who are very different than me, it perhaps even involves how I treat those people. Who are difficult to love sometimes. And so we have to be careful not to simply make living for Jesus all about ourselves, when in fact, how we treat each other has great implications in matthew chapter 22 jesus was being um, tested by the pharisees and they asked him teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law and jesus replied like this he said love the lord your god with all your soul with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so when Jesus was was questioned, when they were trying to trap him, because that's really what they were actually trying to do here in this portion, when they asked him, what's the greatest thing we can do? Well, he said, love God with everything within you. And the second is like it. The NLT says a second commandment is equally important. You see, It's not just that we love God and end a story and we're done, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our life of faith was never meant to be simply about ourselves and and simply how we can get close to God, or simply how we can be blessed by God. In some ways, we can end up in this part of life where we live out just a personal faith that has all sorts of ways in which it can go wrong. You see, we can get to this point where we think to ourselves, well, I thought this faith was all about me, you know, my getting close to God, my knowledge, my wisdom. You see, the Gnostics, when this letter was written, they were holding knowledge in such high esteem and importance that it could have been tempting for some people to think, well, this, this life of following God is all about what I know. It's all about the knowledge I can come up with. You see, and I think for many of us, faith for many of us, can sometimes be about ritual and, and about works, and routines like church and prayer times. But what if faith and the practical living out of your faith has as much to do with the people around you as it does with the God above you? It's a strong statement. You know, I think of the prophet Jonah in scripture. Jonah was this prophet who was a great example of someone who wanted a personal faith. God asked his prophet Jonah, you know, go to this city called Nineveh, preach these people, they need to repent, they need to hear my message, they need to turn their lives around, and Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. You see, his faith was very personal, which was separate from the involvement of other people, and Jonah wanted God's blessing on his life, but he sure wanted to have control over, over whom God could bless, or whom God could love, or whom God could care for. And he really models for us personal faith gone wrong by making it simply about himself and his wishes. You see, what do I mean by personal faith? What do I mean by a faith that focuses more on self and less on others? Well, how many of you have ever been preoccupied with things or asked or heard questions like this on the screen? Is blank a sin? Anyone ever heard that before or asked that before? Is it okay for a Christian to fill in the blank? Is there anything wrong with fill in the blank? And I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably asked these questions. We probably thought these questions. We probably heard these questions. You see, in this stream of Christianity that many grow up in, sin avoidance is pretty much the the guiding light The thinking is, as long as I'm not breaking any of God's rules, then I am good with God, and God is good with me. Now, don't get me wrong, and don't hear me wrong tonight, okay? I'm not suggesting that avoiding sin is bad, okay? (laughs) Avoiding sin is good. There, there's a quote, okay? Keep doing that. Never stop doing that, okay? But if avoiding sin is all that your walk with Jesus has become, then you need to reevaluate, I think, and go back to the Scriptures and see what it is that Jesus has actually called us to do. What has Jesus called Christians to do? Did He simply tell us to just avoid sin That's part of it? But I think He asked us to do other things as well. And I can relate with this kind of a mindset. I can relate as a person who asks these kinds of questions. You see, if you feel this way, I can relate with you. Because when I came to know Jesus, I thought I needed to be really, really, really good. Right? Just be a good person. Christians are good people. So don't do this. Don't listen to that song. Don't watch that movie. Right? You know, always be reading Leviticus daily. Right? No, I'm kidding about that part. But it became an exhausting really just a a, a race of sin avoidance. And I felt that if I just did that, then God would be really, really, really happy with me. But things changed as as I matured and as I grew in my faith. And I realized that there's so much more that God desires from me. And much of it starts with how I treat other people. How do I treat those around me? You see, avoiding sin is a good thing and one thing, but God has so much more for us, church. You see, the world needs the contribution of Christians. Following God can never simply be about simply checking off a list of do's and don'ts, but God wants us to change the world as we love Him and love one another. And this is what has been called vertical faith, okay? When we are more concerned with how our behavior affects our standing with God than we are about how our behavior affects anyone else around us. And it's tricky because we can justify it sometimes. We can say things like this. Well, after all, the Bible does say pleasing God is more important than pleasing people. And we can twist these things to suit our stream of thought or ideologies. We can look for the loopholes if we try hard enough. We can maybe find something that eases our consciences. But Jesus came and gave us a new commandment, friends gave us a new way of living and this vertical morality that's only focused on that part of the relationship. It assumes that God is most concerned with how our behavior affects Him. And of course, there's a bit of hypocrisy in this too when we live this way, because often our primary concern isn't necessarily how our sin affects God, but maybe how our sin affects me and my relationship with Him. You get what I'm saying? And the concern is often on how offending God may end up being bad for me in the long run. And if this was the only way that we approach our faith, it's flawed because it's too little. It's not a complete picture of what Jesus asked us to do. And it leaves out the new command that Jesus and here John is talking about. And so there's vertical faith, there's this faith between me and God, been practiced for years. But what about horizontal faith? What about this part of the relationship that isn't simply just about me and him? But what if everyone around us is an important thing to God as well? You see, our faith is not simply vertical between me and God, you and God. But Jesus is very much concerned with a faith that's also horizontal. And it's a faith that affects you. And it's a faith that affects how you and I treat one another and how we treat each other and how we treat those around us. You see, our relationship with God affects how we treat people, namely brothers and sisters in the faith, but also even our enemies and those whom we find difficult to love. If you'd asked a first century Jew what it looked like to love God, they would have said probably to obey His commandments. And that would have been the idea, to obey his commandments. But Jesus built on that by giving a new commandment when he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love for God would be best demonstrated and authenticated by loving one's neighbor. And so some may say, well, you know, I just want to focus on God. I just want to focus on him, getting close to him. Um, I'm about God. He's my concern. Pleasing God's more important than pleasing people. And then Jesus says something like this in Matthew chapter 5, where he says something that would have completely shocked the crowd that he was talking to that day. Here's what he said. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Now, to fully understand this, you need to know a little bit about going to the temple to offer your gift at the altar. You see, most Jewish people visited the temple once or twice a year to sacrifice. And the lines were long, the sun was hot, the kids were fussy, right? The animals unruly, the smell of the whole thing, we probably can't even imagine what it would have been like being around there. And Jesus and most of his crew were from Galilee, which would actually be a three-day journey for them to get to the temple. Hot days, hot conditions, you know? This wasn't just like, uh, let's just walk across the street to pick up, you know, some food or something. This, This was a journey, there was work involved. And the offended party, this idea that Jesus brings about, would have to wait, and in this case, not be the first priority, right? Besides making things with God, we think to ourselves, is first priority, so how can Jesus suggest this? Did Jesus really mean that making things right with a fellow brother or sister is more important than temple worship in this case? Did he really believe in this moment that the horizontal aspect of our faith should also take precedence sometimes over the vertical? You see, this would have shocked the original audience, no doubt, when he suggested this, but this is what he said, and it turns out this is what he meant. If you were on your way to the temple, standing in line there to offer your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled and then come after and offer your gift. And the crowd would have heard this and nobody would have liked this idea. This was a long journey. This took time to get here. This was planned. This was prioritized. This was new, what Jesus was teaching. This was a new commandment. You see, this is not only a new way of thinking about relationship with God, but this was a new way of living out our relationship with God. You see, in our modern day, we can interpret this teaching of Jesus like this. We could think of it like this, if you want to think of it, of how does this look like in Canada. Before we come to worship God, before we come to bring Him praise, if we're doing that, and we know that there's a relationship that's broken, if we know that we've offended someone, And we remember that we have some relationships that can use some addressing and reconciling this. Make sure you take care of that. Go and do that first, because right now that's what's important. This is what the audience would have heard when Jesus said these words about going to the temple. And the writer of 1 John says it a bit stronger. Let's look at the rest of our passage today in verses nine to 11. The writer in 1 John says this, says anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. There's this undeniable link between how we treat one another and whether we walk in the light or in the dark, the writer is saying. Again, if you've asked a first-century Jew, what it looked like to love God, they would have said, obey His commandments, and Jesus suggested, yes, but he suggested a new answer, love your neighbor. You see, love for God is best demonstrated by loving our neighbors, by loving one another. Faith is vertical, but it's also very horizontal. The people around us and how we treat them and how we interact with them and how we live to them seems to have great importance to God. How we treat one another speaks volumes apparently about my relationship with God. Jesus, I could say it like this, Jesus seems to take it personally, how you and I treat each other. If we have come to know Jesus, we walk in the light, the scripture tells us, and people in the light choose to love. You see, there's three Greek words that float around when it comes to love. There's the word phileo, there's the word eros, and there's the word agape. Now, how many of you are familiar with these anyone heard these terms before agape is the one that uh, seems to stand out to us the most Um, the reason why agape became known as sacrificial love is because it's always used in scripture to describe what jesus did it's always used in scripture it's sacrificial love to describe what jesus did and John tells us that those who walk in the light, those who, who, who walk in the darkness and don't know where they're going, they, 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 they can't see clearly. But those who walk in the light love their brothers, love their sisters, love people. You see, and, and they're not blinded by hate. You see, to hate is, is really just to be seeking your own flourishing above the flourishing of other people love is seeking someone's flourishing not necessarily their happiness or approval but their flourishing <laughs> i say that because to love a child is not to simply give them everything that they want as tough as it is for me sometimes as a dad right you know when we're when we are six we have we have different ideas about what flourishing is okay But what we need sometimes is parental boundaries and freedom within those boundaries and love and care. And so loving someone and desiring them to flourish does not mean that personal boundaries sometimes won't be required in the relationship. But loving someone is the strong desire to release them from anything that prevents you from desiring them to flourish. It's a tough word. And John says, if you don't love your fellow brothers and sisters, if you're not seeking their flourishing, you're walking in darkness. And catch this, you don't necessarily love someone to get in the light, but loving someone is evidence that you are in the light. And so this is a tough teaching. The language of John, you're going to notice throughout the letter, is one of comforting and confronting. Comforting and confronting. You see, John is always going soft on us at times. He calls us beloved, dear friends, dear children, all these very nice addresses. But he also confronts us throughout this letter on things that aren't always easy. And I'd be lying to say they are, and I'm not even going to act like they are. There are some situations, right, where loving people are difficult. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There are some situations where loving people will still require some boundaries put up. There are some relationships where it will not always be easy for us to do. And and John's always confronting and he's comforting and he's comforting and he's confronting us in his book. And our love for other people isn't even something I don't think that we muster up on our own strength, church. But I believe we receive this ability only through Jesus and through how He has loved us. Look at John 13, 34. It says, As I have loved you, as I have loved you, As I have loved you, I'm repeating that on purpose, okay? (laughs) As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We receive love from Him first, and it's that love that enables us to love one another. When we read the words, as I have loved you, how many of you immediately think of the cross? Anyone? How many of you immediately think of... You know, the cross where Jesus demonstrated His love to us and for us. I think in, in, in a lot of ways, our minds immediately go there when we hear something like this. But I wonder what the disciples who were sitting with Him in this moment, hearing Jesus say this to them directly, I wonder what they would have thought. I wonder what would have gone through their minds since we hadn't quite gotten to the cross yet. I wonder what they would have thought of when Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I wonder what the disciples thought in that moment, hearing Jesus say this to them directly. I bet each of them were transported back to a moment in time where Jesus had loved them particularly well. Let me give an example of a disciple. I wonder if a conversation between Matthew and Jesus ever happened that went like this. This is just hypothetical. I'm just using this for illustration. Matthew, remember the first time we met. You were despised by your community as a tax collector. You were an embarrassment to your family. You were known as a traitor among your peers and your community. But I invited you to follow me anyways. Now, Matthew, extend that same grace to everyone you meet for the rest of your life as I have loved you. Let's think of another disciple, Nathaniel. Let's take him for example. Nathaniel, remember the day that we met? Remember what you said about me? Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? You insulted my town my family, and some of my childhood friends, but I invited you anyways, and I wanted you to be a part of this. So Nathaniel, extend that same grace and forgiveness to everyone you meet, as I have loved you. And for good measure, Jesus could have added after that, and gentlemen, if you think you've seen me love, Tighten your sandals because you haven't seen anything yet. I wonder what this would have felt like to Saul of Tarsus, known as the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul had persecuted the church. You persecuted me, my church. You've harmed many people. And and people have been put to death because of your zeal. And yet I could just picture Jesus saying, but I forgive you. I love you. I died for you, and I desire to change your life from the inside out. Now pass that same love on to those around you. Do it as I have loved you. You see, Jesus' primary concern was not simply for them to believe something or to mentally acknowledge something, but rather he wanted them to do something. And he wanted them to love others as he had loved them. And now the writer of 1 John says to us, if you claim to be in the light, but you hate a brother or sister, you're still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And when we live in the light, we love one another. Church, Jesus has shown us the light, amen? He's shown us the light. And we're all on different paths here. As I mentioned earlier, there's different levels of maturity that we find ourselves in. And we're all at different points in our faith journey. But the goal is to reach maturity that Christ's love would be made mature and complete in us. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago, when we looked at verse 5 in uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, if we could just have it on the screen. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. That word complete is the word teleos, which literally means complete, a maturity, fulfilled. And this is our aim, that we become mature in Him. And we are most mature in Him when we know Him, and when we hear Him, and when we walk in Him, and when we abide in Him, and when we live our lives in Him. We see clearly when we live in the light. You see, according to 1 John chapter 2, love for God, the goal is that it be made truly complete in us. Your love made complete in Christ. When you love one another, when you love your neighbor, God's love is made teleos, is made complete in you. And so let me go back to a question I asked us at the beginning today. How many of you, how many of us, have, you have people in your life who are hard to love? Don't raise your hands. I think I know the answer to this one. And the writer here doesn't mince any words. How we interact with those whom are hard to love, this is how this faith lives itself out, apparently. And it's not ultimately or simply just an intellectual exercise, but we've been loved in extraordinary and lavish and fantastic ways by the Creator of the universe. As I have loved you, we have experienced the love of Jesus if we know Him. And this love has been extended to us. And the way we live out our faith is that we extend that same love to those around us. How many of you have ever thought things like this before? Wow, if that person just moved away, life would be so much better, right? (laughs) Got a snicker there. Or if that person just found a different job somewhere else. God bless them. Give them something great, right? But if that person just found a a, a different job somewhere else, man, things would be good finally. And sometimes we do have to put up boundaries. I said that earlier. That can be an important part of it, especially in areas of abuse, et cetera. And I'm not going to minimize that. We discussed that. But how many have ever thought, you know, wow, if I, if, I, if I didn't have to interact with that person ever again, then I could finally be an awesome Christian. Then I could finally live out the life God has called me to. You see, this passage is about really practical, difficult things. <laughs> this passage is about really practical, hard stuff. This faith is about us becoming more loving, and the core of it is, this is how the world will know that God is real. This is how the world is going to know that God is real, because they'll see you love well. This is how the world comes to know God. They see Christians love other people well. They see us extending the same love that he's given us as I have loved you. And so, dear children, John would write to us, guard your love. If you have someone in your life that you just want to Ring their neck sometimes right (laughs) listen to that be in tune to that and be very careful if you have someone in your life that every time they come your way you just get angry and annoyed and you want to go off on them pay attention to that Because those people and those circumstances and those environments where everything within you just wants to yell and kick and scream, pay attention to that. Because that's the place where the Holy Spirit is working to make you teleos, complete in the love of Christ, where God's love is truly made complete in us. Those moments where you realize you don't have the patience, you don't have the kindness, those moments where you discover you're lacking something, those are the exact places I think sometimes where God wants to meet us. And God wants to speak to us. And God wants to do something in our hearts and to provide for and to shape us into who he wants us to be. Pay really close attention to those moments because this gospel, this message that changes the world, that's how it changes the world. is when the followers of this God of love are willing in the most difficult moments to say, here God, I bring you all my stuff today. I bring you my baggage. I bring you my anger. I bring you my disappointment. I bring you my feeling of betrayal. I bring you my stuff. Here I'm having a hard time. Help me, Jesus, to love. Lord, I walk in the light. I know you help me to walk in what you have called me to. And so I don't know what this looks like in your life. I don't know what this looks like in my life. Maybe there's a phone call that needs to be made that's been put off. Maybe there's a, an email that needs to be written. Maybe a gift needs to be sent out. Maybe a meeting needs to be arranged. Maybe there's a conversation that has to happen that's been long overdue. You know, I ask the question is there anybody here today that there's someone that you are having a hard time loving? My suggestion today, church, is we bring that to Jesus tonight. And we bring that to God tonight. And we ask for his help. And we ask for him to remind us of how he's loved us. And we ask for that love to shape how we can interact with people around us. And even as we walk through this passage today, there's something sometimes within us that just says, you know, I need to bring myself before God. Honest and vulnerable and simply ask God to give you a heart of love for this or for that person. And maybe that's your prayer today. God, help me to love this person as you've loved me. Help me. I can't do it on my own. Maybe there's someone here today where you have something to confess and you've been carrying it around and you simply need to bring it to God. You need to bring it to him. Or you need to bring it to a fellow brother or sister that you can trust and confess it. And maybe some of us just need to rest in the reality tonight that God is for you and you've never really felt that before. And perhaps he's reaching out to you tonight in his love. You see, God keeps us from wandering, friends, in the dark. But I believe he helps us today to love others. And I believe the source of that love is exactly what we've received from him. Amen? How many of you have received the love of God? Anyone? How many of you are thankful in this room tonight for his love? Let's bring ourselves before him tonight. Let's bring our situations before him tonight. As we continue tonight, I'm going to pray for us now. Um, We're going to say a few things, and then we're going to get into a time of worship. But I just invite us, just personally, between God, let's bring ourselves before him tonight and ask him to love others as he's loved us. Amen? Let me pray. Um, Father, I just thank you for your word tonight, God. Um, I find this one especially challenging at times, but I thank you for the grace that you have for us. I thank you for the love that you've shown us, God. And I thank you for the empowering of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we don't walk alone, but that you've empowered us and that you go with us in everything that we do. And so, God, you see our hearts. We bring them before you tonight. We ask, Lord God, that you would help shape them towards you, God. Lord, that, the, that we be people who walk in light, where we are and not in darkness and that god that you would just guide and direct each and every one of us god in ways in which we can reach out and love today towards people who to be honest can be difficult sometimes for us to do that with and so just bless each one speak to each heart draw us closer to you i pray in jesus name amen